Tabernacle Presbyterian Church presents Sunday with Tab. Tabernacle Presbyterian Church, located at 34th and Central in Indianapolis, welcomes you to Sunday with Tab. Today, Pastor John Gable delivers the message entitled, Hearing and Doing. So join us now from the sanctuary of Tabernacle Presbyterian Church for Sunday with Tab. But our God is mighty to save, and that gives us the freedom to come together and confess as a congregation, to confess individually, because there is nothing that comes between us and his unchanging grace. So let us together confess the prayer that is written in your bulletin. Gracious God, you have been our help in ages past, and we trust you as our only hope for the future. But we confess our fear and our lack of faith in the present. Help us to have eyes of faith to follow your leading. Help us to have ears of faith to hear your call to discipleship. Help us to have hearts of faith to be good stewards of all that you have given us. Help us to have hands and feet and lips of faith to be sharers and bearers of your good news here and now. Holy God, we confess our sin together, and in the silence of our hearts we pray your forgiveness and ask your continued blessing so that we might be useful in the work of your kingdom. This we pray in Jesus' name. Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Friends, believe the good news of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. And would you stand and join me as we affirm our faith through a writing from the Book of Order describing the mission of the church. The mission of God in Christ gives shape and substance to the life and the work of the church. In Christ, the church participates in God's mission for the transformation of creation and humanity by proclaiming to all people the good news of God's love, offering to all people the grace of God at font and table, and calling all people to discipleship in Christ. Human beings have no higher goal in life than to glorify and enjoy God now and forever, living in covenant fellowship with God and participating in God's mission. You may be seated. Our first scripture reading this morning comes from James, first chapter, verses 22 to 25. But be doers of the word, not merely hearers who deceive themselves. For if any are hearers of the word and not doers, they are like those who look at themselves in a mirror For they look at themselves and, on going away, immediately forget what they were like. But those who look into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and persevere, being not hearers who forget, but doers who act, 
They will be blessed in their doing. This is the word of the Lord. We come this morning to our final section of the Sermon on the Mount. We began studying this, I believe, in the, in the middle of July. Uh, so 17 weeks or so, we've been meandering, studying our way through the book Matthews 5, 6, and 7, so-called the Sermon on the Mount, and we come now to the conclusion of this teaching. So Jesus ends the sermon in this way. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rains fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat against that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on rock. And everyone then who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rains fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell. And great was its fall. Now, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as their scribes. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God, and let us pray. Lord, we do thank you for this your word, faithful and true. Help us now to not simply hear it, but to receive it, believe it, live it in such a way that we might, in our living, bring honor and glory to you for this and all things. We pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. Every good public speaker knows that beginnings and endings are really important. Beginnings need to reach out and grab the listeners in order to bring them in as quickly as possible so that they can move from where you are, what you're already thinking about, to where I want you to be and what I want you to be thinking about in order that you'll hear the message. Beginnings need to be engaging and thought-provoking and attention-grabbing. Endings, on the other hand, need to inspire. They need to motivate the hearers to go out and do something, to take some action, to make some decision, to do something, to change the world, or at least to change something about themselves. Every good public speaker knows that if you've got a good beginning and a good ending, people tend to forget the mush that lies in between. Now, Jesus, being the master teacher that he was, seemed to understand this. Admittedly, Jesus didn't have any mush in between, though. Remember the way he began the Sermon on the Mount? The Beatitudes, the Blesseds. Blessed are the poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, and so on. This posture, this attitude before God lays the foundation for all of the teaching that follows the teaching that we have found to be so engaging, so challenging to us, so radical, so helpful. Jesus calls us, as his followers, to live by a different standard, to live a, by a different value system than the kingdoms of this world. He invites us to begin living now as one day we will live when God has his way with us in the kingdom of heaven. And as we've seen, what we have in the Sermon on the Mount is the gospel in its purest, most concentrated form. 
So how does one end such a message? Does he simply say, well, time's up, that's all I got, see you next week? Now, Jesus, the master teacher, is also the master storyteller. And so he ends this sermon with a parable, with a story to engage his hearers then and now and calls them, calls us to make a decision about what we're going to do with all that he has taught us. But even more important than that, he calls us to make a decision about what we are going to do with him. You see, this teaching cannot be separated from this teacher. To accept the one is to accept the other. And conversely, to reject the one is to reject the other. And the consequences of that decision are dire. So Jesus closes this parable with a very familiar teaching, and it paints I'm sorry, closes the message with a parable that is familiar to us. In fact, I loved it that the children this morning knew this story. They could have told this story to us. And it's a story, it's a parable that paints a very vivid, dramatic, recognizable picture. It's about two men, could be two women, could be two children, could be a family, who build houses for themselves. One on rock, the other on sand. The houses represent the lives that we build for ourselves, that which other people can see about us. They speak of our actions, our demeanors, our professions, our interests, our engagements, our investments. It's the houses of our lives are the way we live our lives. And from the exterior, these houses look very similar to one another. The difference between them, however, is determined not by their facades, but by what they are built upon. The foundation, unseen, which undergirds them, be it sand or rock. But that unseen part of our lives is not discovered when the sun is shining and everything is going well. It's known only when the rains fall and the floods come and the winds blow and beat against that house, as surely it will. Perhaps it already has in the house of your life. It is the storm and not the sunshine that uncovers foundations. It's not often that a parable is played out as dramatically, as vividly as this one. During the past several weeks, we've watched, we've witnessed the devastation caused by blowing winds and raging waters, the likes of Hurricane Ian and other storms and disasters around the globe. I pray that our hearts and hopefully our help will always reach out to those victims of such disasters, both home and abroad. Yet, we wonder, what is it that causes one house to stand and the other to fall? Some would say it's pure luck. It's the path of the storm. It's the way the wind is blowing. It's which side of the street you happen to live on. And there may be some truth to that. But Jesus pushes against that notion. He challenges it by saying it's more than that pure luck or chance as to whether the house in your life is going to stand or fall. It's all determined by the foundation on which we build our lives, be it stable rock or shifting sand. Jesus closes this magnificent teaching 
by asking us to reflect and consider for ourselves, so what is the foundation of my life? On what am I building my life? And the only difference between the wise and the foolish in this parable lies purely in the place on which they stand, the foundation on which they have built. Now, remember, Jesus here is talking to disciples, to his followers, to those who hear his teaching. Hearing is the necessary first step to believing, to entering into a relationship with Jesus. Paul writes in his letter to the Romans, so how are they to call on one in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in one about whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone to proclaim him? And how are they to proclaim him unless they are sent? So, faith comes from what is heard. And what is heard comes through the word of Christ. So, hearing the good news. And by this, we don't mean just hearing audibly, but listening to it, taking it to heart, is the necessary first step in believing this as being good news. But it isn't, isn't it interesting that Jesus doesn't distinguish here between those who have heard it and those who have not heard it, namely between believers and not believers, Christians and non-Christians. The distinction he draws here is between those who hear it and do it and those who hear it and do not do it. You see, it's not enough for us to simply hear this message He's not asking for our agreement with it, but our obedience to it. He's asking us now as he comes to the end of this famous sermon to make a decision, to come to a response, to take an action, and we are rendered fools, he says, if we hear it but don't act on it. Dale Bruner puts it this way, the Father's will is that his Son's word will be heard in such a way that it is done. The word penetrates the ears to reach the heart, and so the hands, the lips, and the feet. This concluding parable is not really a, a feel-good, have-a-nice-day kind of ending, is it? That's the way we like sermons typically to end for us. Have fun, go out and do it. But this kind of is a warning shot off the bow to us. It's a word of caution, sternly spoken to us, because we are the ones who hear this word of God. We hear it in worship. We hear it as we study our scriptures. We hear it in our prayers. We hear it in the music that we listen to or the magazines and books that we read. Perhaps, unlike others who have never heard the gospel message, we have no excuse then when our behaviors don't match up to its demands. We can't claim ignorance here. And quite candidly, it is this disconnect between our words and our actions that many in the non-believing world look at us and say, but they're so hypocritical. We need to draw together what we say we believe with how we act, how we live. We're not given the option simply of nodding our heads in agreement with this teaching and then doing nothing about it. For to do so would be to spend our lives building a house that will not stand when the storms of life come. And invariably they do come to each of us. 
So where these words are heard and taken seriously and done, there is rock. But where these words are heard and not taken seriously, not put into action, not lived out, there is but sand. And again, the consequences of that decision can be tragic. We all know the story of the Titanic, this most magnificent ocean-going vessel of the day which sank on its maiden voyage in 1912. But what is a lesser-known part of that story is that as the ship was traveling at maximum speed, the operator in the wireless room received a radio message from another vessel that there were icebergs in that immediate vicinity. The operator wrote down the message, put it on a piece of paper, put that piece of paper under a weight, and went about his other duties. That critical bit of information never made it to the captain. And as a result, 1,500 lives were lost. You see, information without action is useless and ultimately can be tragic. So when we say yes to following Jesus, we're saying yes not simply to agreeing with him or even commending his good teaching, but we're actually called to live by the new standards that he lays out for us. We're saying yes to humbling ourselves before God, to being distinct and set apart from others, the world as salt and light, to fulfilling the law and the prophets by refusing anger or revenge or resentment or retaliation. When we say yes to Jesus, we're saying yes to forgiving our neighbors, to walking the second mile, to loving our enemies, to praying for those who are angry or persecute us to forsaking earthly treasures for the greater eternal treasures we know are promised, to living according to the narrow way of, God, way of God rather than the wide way of the world. When we say yes to Jesus, we are committing ourselves to living for God's ends and purposes and not merely for our own. As we've seen, this teaching is radical to us. It's revolutionary. It's demanding. And yet, instinctively we know, from the very first time we hear it, that it must be true. We know that life would be so much better for us, and so much better for our neighbors, and so much better for the world, if only we were to live the way Jesus teaches us to live. But we find we can't. It's just too hard. It's just too demanding. And so in the midst of that, and I think this may be the point of the whole Sermon on the Mount, he sets this bar and makes us realize we can't do this on our own. He tells us that what we need is help. And as soon as we realize we need that help, he steps in and says, I will be that help for you. You need a savior. And when we confess that need, when we bow before him, he promises to come and be with us, to lead us and guide us, and all we have to do is ask and seek and knock. And he promises to come and answer. That's the invitation of the Sermon on the Mount. And at the conclusion of this teaching, Matthew records that the crowds were amazed, they were astonished, they were dumbfounded by his teaching and by 
him. You see, unlike the cartoon which depicts the minister at the end of the sermon saying, yeah, but then again, what do I know? Jesus speaks with authority. The crowds had never heard anyone speak like this before. Why? Because no one had ever spoken like this before. No one ever would speak like this again. He makes claims that no one would ever dare claim if they weren't who he is. You see, unlike any who went before him or any who had come after him, Jesus speaks with the authority of God because he is God. He is God in human flesh. And so his words must be taken seriously because these are God's words to us. And so for this reason, this word cannot be lived out by separating them from the one who speaks them. The truth of this message is grounded firmly on the truth of the messenger. Jesus himself is the foundation on which we are called to live our lives and all other ground is sinking sand. Raymond Calkins puts it this way, he offers the world not a doctrine, not a plan, not an organization for the solution of its problems or the saving of its life, he offers himself. When one asks, what is the Christian faith according to Christ himself, the answer is Christ himself. And if this is where Christ laid the foundation of his faith, then this is where the apostles laid it. The faith which the New Testament offers to the world is faith in a person. The preaching of the New Testament is the preaching of a person. They preached Jesus that in him is the resurrection of the dead, that he has given us all things pertaining to life, that his is the name above every name. And because they were sure of the fact of this person, they were sure that when they based their hope and their faith on that fact, that there was a foundation that could not be moved. There was a kingdom that could not be shaken. Friends, as we come to the end of the study of the Sermon on the Mount, we come to the understanding that what Jesus is doing for us here is laying a foundation, the message and the messenger. And we are called to hear it, to receive it, to believe it, to live it, to hear it, and to do it. And may it be so with us. Amen. I close with this prayer. It's uh, taken off of a prayer written for the Lambeth Conference of Evangelical Bitness, Anglican rather, bishops in 1948. And let us pray. Almighty God, give us the grace to be not hearers only, but doers of your word. Not only to admire, but to obey your truth. Not only to profess, but to practice your faith not only to love, but to live your gospel. So grant that what we learn of your glory we may receive into our hearts and show forth in our lives. Through Christ our Lord we pray, now and in the silence of our hearts. Lord, hear our prayer. You're listening to Sunday with Tab, a production of Tabernacle Presbyterian Church in Indianapolis. We hope you have found inspiration and comfort in today's program. There are many ways to enjoy today's message again. 
Subscribe to the Tab Podcast on your favorite podcast app or go to tabpres.org, tap on the graphic marked Sermons, and select the sermon you wish to hear. While there, you can also view the entire worship service. We invite you to join us for worship this morning at Tabernacle Presbyterian Church. We're located at the corner of 34th Street and Central Avenue in Indianapolis. At 8 a.m., we have a communion service in the chapel. And at 10 o'clock, a beautiful worship service in the sanctuary. The 10 o'clock service is also live streamed on our YouTube channel, Tab Indie. For all information on the services and streaming, go to tabpres.org. That's T-A-B-P-R-E-S dot O-R-G. Thanks for listening, and join us next week at the same time for Sunday with Tab. What is the kingdom of God? Pastor John Gable of Tabernacle Presbyterian Church in Indianapolis. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus offers a rather curious listing of those who enter the kingdom of God. The poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, and the persecuted, among others. It's an unexpected list that includes those the world often classifies as rejects and outcasts. It is this countercultural Jesus that we seek to follow at Tab, whose message runs counter to our culture of self-centeredness and self-absorption. How do we follow this Jesus at Tab? Come find out for yourself by joining us in worship or visiting us online at tabprez.org. Tabernacle Presbyterian Church, 34th Street and Central Avenue in Indianapolis, invites you to worship Sunday morning at 8 or 10 a.m. If you can't make it in person, tune in to Sunday with Tab, Sunday mornings at 6.30 on WIBC, or find us online at tabprez.org.